Specialty Story, session number 104. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I get to chat with an amazing physician about his or her specialty. Now, before I move on to this week's podcast, I want to let you know about one of our other podcasts that you may or may not already know about, and that is Board Rounds. It is a podcast that I do with Board Vitals, a USMLE and Comlex Step 1 and Level 1 test prep company, QBank company, who has amazing QBanks for Step 1 and Level 1. For your shelf exams as well, they have amazing QBanks for those for your clinical years. Go check out Board Rounds at boardrounds1.com. This week, we have a great guest talking about palliative and hospice medicine. Now, this is a specialty that is important, and not a lot of people know about it, and not a lot of people consult palliative medicine early enough, and so that's what we're going to talk about today with our guest, Dr. Bruce Chamberlain. Now, Dr. Chamberlain has been out of his training now for 29 years practicing hospice and palliative care medicine all around the country. And we're going to talk all about it, including what got him interested in it right now. I uh, actually backed into it completely without plan. Um, In fact, I had never really heard of it before. I am board certified in internal medicine and uh, was practicing in a clinic doing internal medicine. And as is often the case, the majority of my patients were elderly. And I begin to notice a trend in that an awful lot of my patients had functional limitation as a result of pain, you know, osteoarthritis primarily or low back pain. And unfortunately, even today, chronic non-malignant pain is, is not near as sexy as cancer pain, even though it's just as painful and can cause just as much stability. Um, so there wasn't much attention being paid to it. You know, here's some Lortab, good luck. And so I started kind of self-educating in non-invasive pain management, as well as some kind of low-level uh, injections. I partnered with a physical therapist and started being a little bit more aggressive with the pain management and saw some just great success. You know, folks that had been, had to be in a wheelchair, being able to get up and go shopping by holding onto the cart, um, which was her greatest wish. She just, I just love shopping. I want to go shopping again. Hmm. And we were able to do that for her. And uh, so I ended up having a, a fair part of my clinic ended up being accidentally devoted to geriatric pain management. Um, through the course of time, one of my patients ended up in hospice. And the hospice called me and said, you know, nobody's really doing this kind of pain management. Would you mind helping us out? And I thought, yeah, why not? I'll look into it. What what can I lose? Uh, so on my day off, I went over and worked with the hospice. And um, most people who, ha- who work or have worked in hospice or pal- and or palliative care for any period of time will tell you that it ends up being more of a calling than a job. 
you just feel like this is where you belong and what you're supposed to be doing. And I can say that that happened to me. I, I found that that half day a week was what I looked forward to all the rest of the time. That was when I felt I was being the kind of doctor that I wanted to be. And I slowly increased my hospice time and decreased my clinic time until finally the clinic said, Fisher cut bait. And just at that time, the hospice offered me a full-time position, so I cut bait and really never looked back. I have done hospice or palliative care full-time for over 20 years, well, full or part-time uh, for over 20 years. Mm. Uh, in Utah, it's hard to find a full-time position, so I have done other things like being a hospitalist as my primary job, but have always on the side worked with at least a small hospice so that I could uh, keep my fingers in what I love. Now, a student listening to this may may think that and think about what you're talking about and go, well, that just sounds crazy. Like, I want to be a doctor so I can help people. Why, why would a physician want to go out and help people die? What, what is your, the thought process around being around death uh, a lot of the time? Well, uh, with hospice, you have to change your mindset. And that is, we accept the reality that people die. You know, we are trained as physicians in the combat mode. We fight disease. We, you know, and we often take it as a personal and professional failure when our patient dies, even though that's going to happen to all of us. You know, you think of the words we use, and I, it always strikes me when we're on rounds and patient said, or the nurse will say, yes, now the patient follows commands. <laughs> when, do, when do we give people commands? You know, they follow instructions. Please lift up your, lift up your hand. Okay. Was that a command? That command but That's you. <laughs> part of our combat mode of conversation. Mm -hmm. So when you accept the reality of death, then success becomes, was the patient comfortable? Were they able to have closure on outstanding emotional issues? Was the family able to be there? Were they able to die at home as opposed to plugged into 15 different tubes and monitors in an ICU? If that happens, that's a huge success for me. Um, is it sad that they die? Yeah, it is. But it's really great that they died in the way they wanted to, comfortable. And again, that's, you know, death is only the very end part of the hospice care. There's a whole lot of time, usually, um, you know, hopefully months before death, where what you're really doing is managing their symptoms. Um, I had a, a patient not long ago uh, with lung cancer. And she came on to hospice and she was, had just incredible fatigue and horrible pain. Um, and they were just kind of treating her with low-level pain management. And we did some aggressive things, got her on some good pain management, got her on a medication to kind of counteract the fatigue. And you know, I went to visit her two weeks after admission and, and her response to me was, why hasn't this been done? I have been suffering for the past two years, and this is the best I've ever felt. How come it took this long? So for me, that's a huge success. And she didn't die for several months, but my work as a hospice doctor um, 
improved her quality of life for the time that she had so that she was able to do the things she wanted to visit family, do those other things because we were able to aggressively manage her symptoms. So you get very positive feedback along the way um, before the death and very often after the death when family come up and say, thank you, you know, thank you. She didn't have to go to the hospital. She was home. She was comfortable. She fell asleep and, and passed. So you have to look for different rewards, but they're absolutely there. What traits do you think make for a good hospice and palliative care medicine physician? You have to, I guess, pardon the pun, but be patient. You know, palliative care have to be patient people. Uh, you have to have empathy, but also the ability to draw that fine line between empathy and getting too emotionally involved with what's going on. Um, you have to be able to relate. You've got to be able to have the patients feel like you actually understand them and are there for them. But if you get too far drawn into it, then you are on the road to burning out because it can be very emotionally stressful. So the ability to kind of engage, be empathetic, be able to listen, but to not go too far into that are very important. Um, a good hospice palliative care doctor is very skilled at uh, pain and symptom management. Um, and also in, in the light of kind of what geriatricians do, when I was doing outpatient palliative care, a large portion of what I did was review these patients' medication lists. And, you know, my 85-year-old that's still taking cholesterol medicine, you know, patients who are on diuretics but have been admitted three times for dehydration, um, to, to tailor and taper medications appropriately to the patient's age and condition. Um, so you've got to understand pharmacology um, and understand the physiology of a geriatric patient, which are the predominant uh, population that we take care of. Now, a lot of students listening to this right now, and unfortunately, a lot of physicians out in practice don't understand the fundamental differences between hospice and palliative care. They, they think they're the same thing. So before, I think before we go any further, I want to kind of have that discussion of what those differences are for people. The hospice in this country has been defined by Medicare. So uh, the definition of hospice eligibility is a patient with a medical condition that if it continues as anticipated, we expect the patient to die within six months. So that is a, a definition imposed upon us by Medicare. Um, so, do you like that definition? I, I don't because nobody's that good at prognostication. Yeah. Uh, so, no, I think and and Medicare is looking. There's a lot of of work uh, to try and change that definition to allow for earlier care. Um, because the problem with the definition is since we're so bad at prognosticating a high percentage of patients aren't put on hospice until they're actively dying. Yeah. Um, and I get that as I'm on rounds, you know, with I round in the ICU every day and, uh, you know, I hear some of the doctors say, Oh no, they don't, they don't need palliative care just yet. They're, they're not dying. <laughs> well, they're darn close <laughs> they're in an ICU. So 
Um, that's the kind of definition of hospice. It is the, the point of the spear of palliative care, which is aggressive end-of-life care. So mm-hmm. palliative care is aggressive quality of life interventions, symptom management. Um, and what I do a lot of in the hospital is actually communication. Uh, in the hospital, patients and families often see multiple doctors. They hear different things from those doctors. Uh, and so I come in and try to translate and make sure they know what's going on. You can't have informed consent if you're not informed. And if we speak doctor to our patients and then leave before they can ask questions, there's no good information there and it's frustrating for families. We also ask the hard questions, the questions about resuscitation status, which often people are reluctant to do or do incredibly badly. So I also do aggressive symptom management, so pain management with patients who are post-op. I have several surgeons that frequently consult me to help with the pain management. So palliative care is a broader spectrum of quality of life interventions and symptom management that includes, but is not limited to, end-of-life care, whereas hospice is end-of-life care. It's part of palliative, but palliative is much more. For the student out there who is is super interested in kind of the process of figuring out what's going on, is hospice, palliative care, medicine a good choice for them? Because it doesn't sound potentially like a, a patient's going to come to you and you have to figure out what's going on. It's more, you know that bad things are going on and it's more the other things that you're doing. I I would say that, yeah, we are not, called upon to be expert diagnosticians, uh, as you say very frequently, we know what's happening and it's our job. And, and again, palliative care works in conjunction with regular docs. You know, the surgeons are still taking care of the surgical issues mm-hmm. and I'm working alongside them managing the, the symptoms. So yeah, often it's not a diagnostic conundrum. It is a, in light of this disease process and what's going on, what can we do to improve this patient's quality of life? Yeah. Okay. Describe a typical day for you. Uh, I am working strictly as an inpatient palliative care doctor. So I come in in the morning, I work with a nurse practitioner and uh, two nurses who mostly are liaisons with the hospice owned by uh, the company I work with here, um, the hospital system. So we come in, the first thing we do is review uh, any consults that have come in from yesterday afternoon after we've closed down the shop through that morning. Then we make up a list of all of our patients. And as a group, we sit down and review those patients. What's going on? What is the plan? Uh, You know, do we need a cospice consult? Do we need, you know, some other intervention, bring in somebody else? Uh, and then we pretty much break up and, you know, the nurse practitioner and I often split up the consults. Um, I, unless we are just incredibly busy, I usually go and attend uh, the multidisciplinary ICU rounds, um, both to keep palliative care in their minds and because I often have uh, as many as three or four patients that are in the ICU at a given time. Uh, so it helps me to get the broader sense of what everyone's thinking so that when I then meet with the family, I can 
con- condense that into an, an easier conversation. Uh, and the rest of the day is spent, again, new consults uh, and uh, doing follow-up visits with the patients I've already seen. Often it's goals of care conversations. Uh, often it involves uh, filling out the, you know, a lot. many states have some form of POLST or IPOLST or that sort of document. And we often do those with our patients before discharge. And with many patients, we educate them on what their discharge options are from skilled facility rehab to long-term care facility to hospice. And we often have to explain what hospice is because they have in their minds the 1960s, you know, go home, stop all your medicines. We're going <laughs> to hold your hand and sing Kumbaya and wait for you to die. You know, that's the mental image that many people have of hospice. So I have yeah. to explain that Modern hospice involves aggressive management. You can stay on your medications, you know, the ones you want. We'll talk to you about, you know, risks and benefits, but it's your choice. Uh, We try to keep you out of the hospital and just go through the benefits involved. And most people are are very surprised. You know, they've never heard that this is what hospice is. Mm. Um, And so that's pretty much that. As most of my day, we talk with the hospitalists quite a bit. That's our primary source of referral. Um, and they tell us about the patients and why they're getting the consults. And then we go in and, uh, I would say not just with patients, but say like today, I spent a lot of my day. I had three family meetings, which you get everybody together and discuss the patient's condition. You discuss the current treatment plan of care, and then you discuss options going forward and, and try to make decisions. And these are usually with a patient who. Uh, for medical reasons, is unable to participate in that decision-making process. Uh, so a lot of talking, a lot of sitting. The uh, I'll tell you what I love about being a palliative care doctor is I have time. Mm-hmm. As a hospitalist, you know, you're in and out. You've got to see all these patients. You've got to get them admitted. You've got to get them discharged. It was always a constant rush. I just spent an hour and a half in a family meeting with a patient in the ICU and I did it. I, I had the time. There was no rush. I was able to spend all the time that family needed to answer their questions, give them the information and help them come to a decision. And there's nobody else in the hospital that can do that. And so for me, uh, I love that I have the time to make sure people know what's going on. It's funny, as you were talking, I'm trying to come up with like an analogy of, of what you are, what, what a hospice palliative medicine <laughs> doctor is. And, and it, it almost is like you're just, you're a research, uh, a resource expert. Like you just understand kind of the whole gamut of resources. I, I kind of think a lot of physicians have to be uh, aware of resources that are available for, for their patients. And then you have the social workers and, and everyone else. But it sounds like you are just above and beyond as a palliative care doc and as a hospice doc that you just have to know everything that's available to a patient, uh, all of the resources that are available. You have to be connecting all of these people and, and really take joy in being that connector. You definitely have to. I will say that both in hospice and palliative care, we have a very strong emphasis on engaging a multidisciplinary team. Mm -hmm. So we often will bring in a social worker. Uh, We often bring in a a chaplain or, you know, a spiritual care worker or contact the patient's own minister. 
So uh, as a palliative care doctor, I don't do it all. I, I try to kind of assess what are the needs and then access the other resources yep. that can come in. You know, I can spend a little time talking with uh, patients about their spiritual issues, but it's not my forte. So uh, I will then say, you know what, can I call your minister and have them come in and help you out? Or we have a hospital chaplain. Yep. So uh, I'm not, I certainly am not alone in what I do, but yes, I, I love what I do because people are, are so overwhelmed in the hospital. This is just a scary environment, especially if you're elderly. And people come in and they speak languages, you know, medical language that you don't really understand. And when I have these family meetings, especially in the ICU, I generally start after introductions and things by asking, what is your understanding of what's going on with the, with the patient, with your mom or whatever? And it is far too frequent that the answer is we have no idea you know they've been in the hospital for a week they've had this you know several hospitalists several critical care doctors various consultants and the family has no idea what's really going on and so to relieve that by providing the information it's it is incredibly rewarding i, I love yeah. what i do yeah what does call look like for you <laughs> well Right now, I have no call because there's just the two of us. We are a Monday through Friday, eight to five service. The, the goal, uh, you know, if you're familiar, I'm, I'm sure with uh, Jayco um, <laughs> and Jayco, the bane of all of us, but they do have a certification for palliative care programs. Uh, you have to be a lot bigger. I've only, they recruited me to come here. Before I got here, they had two nurse practitioners doing this, um, and neither were actually board certified in hospice and palliative medicine. So we're a very new service to be doing the more aggressive types of interventions that we're doing now. Um, so we have to prove ourselves before we can grow. And once we grow, the goal and to get JCO certified is you do have to have 24-7 coverage. Uh, we just can't do that right now with the two of us. Okay. What does the residency path look like to become a hospice and palliative care doc? You know, the interesting thing is when hospice and palliative medicine became an ACGME fellowship, it's a one-year fellowship, it had more boards that endorsed it than I believe any other subspecialty has. I want to say 11. That's off the top of my hat. But, you know, almost any of the primary boards you can think of, uh, pediatrics, family practice, internal medicine, general surgery, psychiatry, almost all of the major medical boards. So you go through your residency, you can then apply, and it's generally, unless there's uh, some advanced research involved, it's generally just a 12-month fellowship. Okay. So there are lots of different paths to get there. So that's interesting. A lot of different paths, yeah. yes. And that's good. So a student can go and if they've always wanted to be a surgeon, go do that. And then as they potentially uh, are exposed to more and more stuff, uh, be open to more more training and more specialty in that area. So good. Yeah. And one of the things we're trying to promote as kind of an overall organization of hospice and palliative medicine is that there's really a two-tiered system here. We believe that primary care doctors should be able to provide basic palliative care. They should know 
basic pain management skills. They should be able to talk through advanced directives. You know, they should have certain fundamental skills the same way, you know, when you're taking care of a patient with cardiac disease, as an internist, I was pretty comfortable with, you know, adjusting blood pressure medications and and doing, you know, oh, let's get a treadmill test. Let's order an echo. All right, now it's time to refer you to the cardiologist. Um, we feel the same way, largely because there's a workforce shortage. You know, there just aren't enough of us to go around right now. Mm-hmm. But so we would like to see that primary care doctors educate themselves enough to get the basics and then know when to refer to a palliative care specialist. Um, but then we would love to have more more folks trained. You know, there the number of fellowship programs is growing. I, I just saw two more that uh, are going to be opened up, uh, but most of them have fairly small uh, groups. You know, on the order of like five to to ten fellows at a time. Mm-hmm. So the demand, you know, as our population is aging exponentially. The demand for what we do is growing rapidly. Every, almost every hospital over 300 beds in the country has inpatient palliative care. Um, it's just, it's just what is out there, and there is a need for outpatient palliative care. So, in terms of selecting a career that you'll have demand, that you'll be able to find a job, this is one of them. Um, I was, re- I was in Utah for the. 22 years and and got recruited to Iowa. And when I was looking for a job, I had all kinds of opportunities open up. So it, it is a, an area, a field in medicine that is in high demand and will continue to be based on just population demographics. Now, do you see, I think I've heard at some point, whether it was from another palliative care doc or from a hospitalist or somebody that a lot of hospitals still don't have full-time palliative care in the hospital. It's usually uh, an extra duty for a hospitalist or someone who's taken a, a liking to that specialty. Is Do you still see that as an issue? I, I do. Those are usually the smaller hospitals. Um, when I Before I moved out here, uh, I was uh, working as a hospitalist, but I also implemented inpatient palliative care as part of my hospitalist practice because I really couldn't not do some of these things. Uh, and so the hospital began paying me a stipend to manage it and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, the, the problem we face is that in a hospital environment, palliative care doesn't pay for itself in a silo. Yep. You know, I don't bill enough to cover my salary. What we do is we save a lot of money. We get patients out of the ICU sooner. Uh, we get them discharged sooner. We, you know, when we consult, we're often able to consolidate meds, move, improve their pharmacy costs. So in the big picture, every study that's been done has shown that inpatient palliative care saves the hospital money. But unfortunately, often hospitals just look at the cost center, the silo picture of like, wait a minute, this is their billing and this is what we're paying in salary. That doesn't. <laughs> So it is challenging for smaller hospitals to uh, want to go out and bring in a full-time palliative care doctor. Um, I think a lot of them are using nurse practitioners in that role. Um, but yeah, the, it, there is the issue of we don't make tons of money with what we do. Yeah. So let's talk about, you mentioned earlier about hospitalists and, and potentially not getting uh, palliative care on board soon enough 
talking to the future primary care docs out there, what do you wish they knew about palliative care hospice medicine to, to be able to help their patients better in the future? I would say the first thing I wish they knew was that hospice and palliative care does not, you don't have to wait until you think your patient is actively dying to get us involved. The sooner, you know, many of the uh, national oncology organizations are now uh, suggesting, you know, in their policy guidelines, that palliative care be involved at the time of diagnosis and going forward. So, if you have an elderly patient with multiple chronic medical problems, uh, those are patients that palliative care can help with. Uh, we can help with the symptom management. We can take the time that you don't have in clinic. You know, you've got, what, 20 minutes for a new patient and 11 minutes for a follow-up. You don't have the time to have an extensive goals of care type of conversation with that patient and their family. We can provide that service. So don't wait until end of life. Don't let your patient suffer. If you're having trouble managing pain for whatever reason, we can help with that. You know, and, and that is an increasing problem as opiates have become the big bad guy. A lot of doctors not prescribing opiates any longer because they're so nervous about it. Now, we don't want to take over prescribing opiates. We can't do that. Usually our consults are to go in, make, you know, identify the issues, initiate a plan of care, and follow that through until we've got the patient stable, and then do the handoff to the doc. And often that is more palatable to docs. You know, the, they're doing this based on the advice of a specialist, and they've got a plan. And so often in that circumstance, they are willing to prescribe the opiates, whereas right now so many doctors are reluctant to do that. Yeah. Are there any special opportunities outside of what, what most would consider typical clinical medicine for hospice and palliative care docs? There are uh, a lot of academic hospice and palliative care doctors. Uh, there are a lot of doctors uh, who do this and then move up into administration. So I would say you know, research and administration give you the opportunity to move, you know, out of just strictly clinical work. Um, those would be the two prime. I mean, as with most other doctors, uh, those those are the opportunities. Teaching, um, I try to do as much uh, teaching here. We have a, a residency program. I do a monthly. Uh, lecture for anybody who wants to come on various palliative care topics. So as with many things, you can make of it what you want. Now, you mentioned earlier that one of the best things that you like is just the time that you have available. What do you like the least about being a, a hospice and palliative care doc? Uh, I would say that it is the fact that most people don't understand what I do. You know, I, oh, it's the death doctor, you know, um, they don't understand the broader picture. Um, I, it, I don't like the fact that since we don't pay for ourselves, it's kind of a constant fight to justify our existence through means other than the direct financial picture. Uh, now, I find many places, including the hospital I'm at now, appreciate it. In fact, we have a foundation that's... Uh, paying a large part of my salary right now uh, because they see the, the need and benefit of that palliative care. Um, so I would say those are the bigger challenges. Um, I 
uh, I honestly do. I, I go home and, and feel good because I've almost always had a day where I felt like I made a difference for somebody. Do you see any major changes coming to the field? Uh, it has to. Yeah. I mean, with the workforce shortage, with the aging population, I think that there has got to be a change in the Medicare regulations for the hospice benefit. Um, I, I see more, hopefully, more involvement of palliative care in residencies and medical schools so that there is more exposure and better understanding of what we do and, and better skill sets in those who don't choose this as a career path, but who are going to be seeing patients for whom those skill sets will be important. So I hope that overall the level of education about what we do will spread to most primary doctors, primary care doctors. If you had to do it all over again, would you still do it? What a great question. I was planning to go into cardiology and <laughs> the army sidetracked my career path. Um, wow. Uh, I, you know, that, that's a very hard question. Yeah. You know, where I came from, there were very few jobs, full-time jobs in hospice and palliative medicine. So I had multiple job changes and, you know, every time you do that, that's uh, significant stress. So in terms of just my personal path, I wouldn't have mind doing something that was a little bit more stable yeah. and consistent in terms of the work that I do. And I, I, I honestly, I feel like this is more of a ministry than a job. I, I love what I do. And if I knew that when I started, I very likely would have gone into this again. So any last words of wisdom for the student who is just now realizing that there's this potentially pretty awesome specialty out there and, and for them to go get some more information? I would say if you're a student doing rotations, uh, go spend some elective time. You, you know, I just had a, a student from a, a local medical school came and spent two weeks with us. Um, it's a great way to see what we do. Or you can volunteer, if you've got some time, medical students don't have much, but uh, you, know, you can volunteer with a hospice, they always need volunteers. Or again, go shadow a hospice doctor or create a, a it's very easy to create a, a short-term rotation to experience it. There's a, quite a difference between inpatient palliative care, outpatient palliative care, and hospice. Each has kind of a very special skill set and special population. Uh, so I would just say, go out there and get exposed to it. All right, there you have it, hospice and palliative care medicine. Now, if you're interested in this discussion, I had a great episode, a great interview with Dr. B.J. Miller. Now, if you don't know Dr. B.J. Miller, he was a triple amputee or is a triple amputee from an accident that he had while he was in college. And he went on to medical school and became a hospice and palliative care medicine specialist and has made it his life's mission to help people die in a better way. So if you want to check out that interview, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 301. Hope you enjoyed our discussion today with Dr. Bruce Chamberlain. If you have a specialty you want covered here on the podcast, just shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. And don't forget, if you are a first or second year 
medical student or even as a pre-med student, go check out our Board Rounds podcast with Board Vitals at boardrounds1.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.